Great crowd today. If you're new to Crossroads, welcome. Uh, today's a special Sunday. Um, typically, we kind of work through different themes in the Bible, either through a passage in the Bible, a book in the Bible, or a concept in the Bible, and spend a few weeks talking about it. Today is a standalone. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year. It's where we talk about the vision of Crossroads, and specifically, we'll reflect on some of the things that God has done in 2023, looking ahead to what God is going to do, and we believe God's going to do in 2024. And if you've been here the last few weeks, we've talked specifically about how to move from here, wherever you are, to there, but not just to there that we prefer, the there that God has in store for us, the there that God has said, this is the plan and the purpose I have for you and I wanna take you there to become more like Jesus. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about putting habits in place to help us get there, putting barricades and boundaries in place to help us getting there. And you realize like if you've ever tried to better yourself, improve yourself or become more like Jesus, it's really easy to get distracted, to get delayed, to maybe get detoured. And we just sometimes get off the path of where we started out and intended to go. We end up drifting into places if we're not intentional about keeping our eyes on the there that God has in front of us. Now, this isn't a new revelation. This isn't like, hey, because of recent technology or because of the temptations of the world today, like this has been on, ongoing since the beginning of humanity. The temptation to get detoured or distracted from the there, the place that God is leading you. So Paul, one of my favorite authors in the Bible, Paul, Paul writes so much of what we read about in the New Testament. and He writes such practical advice on how to walk out the plan God has for you to get you from here to there. So, so catch the picture here. Paul's writing a letter of encouragement to some Christian folks in Philippi while he's in prison in Rome and telling them to be encouraged. Like, can you imagine being in that place in your life where you're locked in prison, you've got nothing else to do, so let me encourage someone else. What a great example to follow. So Paul writes this in Philippians chapter three, we read where Paul talks about like, he's talking about this journey from here to there. And he's, he says, I haven't reached it yet. I've not yet reached perfection. I've not yet reached the place where God is called. I've not achieved what the Lord has said in front of me yet, but I know that I'm on the trajectory. I'm in the direction of, I'm heading in the right space to get there. But I'm not gonna dwell on my past, he teaches this. He says, in chapter three, he says, I'm not gonna worry about the things that lie behind me. Instead, I'm gonna keep my focus on what lies ahead of me. Philippians chapter three, we're gonna pick up in verse 14 today. He says this, he says, I press on. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I press on. Now look at the person you didn't like as much on the other side of you and tell them, I press on. I press on to reach the end of the race. Your translations might say, I press on to reach the finish line and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Paul says, I press on. In the Greek, that phrase would have been the oko, which means to, to pursue swiftly, to, to pursue after eagerly, to seek, to find quickly, to remain focused until I arrive or to press on. Here's what I believe Paul is saying. I have a vision of where God is calling me to go. I see the trajectory laid out ahead of me and I know it's gonna be distracting and I know it's gonna be hard and I know it's gonna be challenges, but I press on. He says, I've got a vision. God has shown me what, what, what the future looks like. One of my favorite passages whenever we talk about vision is Proverbs chapter 29 and 18. It reads this, it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the, the people will cast off restraint. And honestly, the, the reason I teach this passage, probably the, the most common place I share this is when talking to singles about dating, which seems like it has nothing to do with dating, but let me tell you how to put the best and healthiest boundaries and, and barricades in your dating journey. Where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. 
which means when we can see a preferred picture of the future, a vision is just simply a preferred picture of the future that we have in front of us. When I can see a healthy marriage and know the potential that I have to live in a healthy marriage, when I can see a healthy relationship and I can see a healthy family and I can see that is what the goal is, then I'm really good about putting barriers and boundaries in place to help me arrive there. But we live in a day and a time where people struggle to see or we struggle to reveal to people what a healthy God-centered relationship looks like. What a healthy dating avenue to, to become the person God's called you to be look like. And when we don't see a healthy vision, when we don't see a healthy version, we don't see a healthy example of, well, then we don't care because that's unobtainable. And if young people don't believe that a healthy marriage is possible, they cast off restraint and they date however they feel and they trample on people in the process. If I can't see a healthy vision or if I can't see a godly vision of what a generous life looks like, then I cast off restraint and I'll spend money to satisfy myself today rather than saving up some money that I can be generous in the future. If I don't have a healthy vision of what a godly man looks like, a godly husband, a godly father looks like, if I don't have a healthy vision of that, then I'm gonna live very selfishly. I'm gonna live to satisfy myself. I'm gonna spend my money and spend my time on things that satisfy me instead of sacrificing for the better of my family and my relationships to, to get a vision of what God has given us. In this time of prayer and fasting, over the last 21 days, our church has intentionally prayed and fasted from something, cut out more time from something going on in our life that we could dedicate more time to spend with the Lord to hear from him. And one of the challenges in this time of prayer and fasting was God, make it clear where there is for me. Make it clear where there is for my family. Make it clear where there is for my church. And my prayer is that you wake up tomorrow and every day for the rest of this year with a clear picture of the preferred future that God has in store for you with a clear picture that you can proceed through the day with confidence. This is the man or woman that God has called me to be. And these are the steps that I need to take to stay on the trajectory of becoming that person and getting there. Here is where the Lord is leading me and I'll let nothing stop me from getting to there. Now, before we get into like the exciting part of this year, or at least one of the exciting parts of today and the what's coming this year, I always recommend this. I think this is an incredible, healthy practice. I think the Bible teaches on the importance of reflecting and remembering. But I always ask before we look to the future, before we ask God to show us what's to come, that we stop and take some time to remind ourselves to reflect on what God has already done. If you read through the Psalms, the Psalms is an incredible book. It's got so many incredible songs and poems that kind of walk us through some of the things we experience in life. And so many Psalms kind of follow the flow of starting out with, this is how I feel. Here's the challenge I've been facing. Here's the questions I've been doubting. Here's the things that have been coming to my life. And there seemingly in most of the Psalms is a switch that flips where I go from, oh God, where are, where are you? God, what have you done? God, why have you left? Why have you forgotten? Oh, wait. When I remind myself of what God has already done, I remember that he hasn't forgotten, that he hasn't left, and that might be in a season where it feels a little bit stale, a little bit dry, a little bit soft, but that God has been so good. And sometimes as Christians, we are so guilty of praying, and God shows up, and God moves, and it's great, and we celebrate it for just a moment, and then we move on to the next thing and forget about it. Can I just offer, there is something incredibly powerful in your faith journey, and the faith journey, and the people around you, when we pause and verbalize and reflect on the things that God has done. Psalm chapter 77 kind of follows that same pattern. The first 10 verses of Psalm 77, the psalmist writes, this is a struggle. Life's hard. God, I'm not sure I can hear from you right now. Where have you been? And then we get to verse 11 and you see the difference. It turns the corner. The psalmist writes, but then I recall all that you have done. <clears throat> oh Lord, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. And if you don't live there, I would encourage you to remind yourself as often as you can 
to continue to think about the wonderful deeds that God has done and the thoughts of his mighty works. Verse 13, oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders and you demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people. I just want to pause before we go any farther and just reflect in 2023. 2023, if you were to roll through the news, if you were to scroll through social media, like there are plenty of things that we could get stuck in that first 10 verses of Psalm 77. God, where are you in this? God, are you hearing our prayers? Maybe you experienced a loss. Maybe you experienced some challenging times for my family. The start of 2023 was about the worst news you could start with. There were some challenging things that happened in 2023. As we look back globally, there were so many tragedies that happened last year. There was wars, there was threats of greater wars. There were simple things that so affected the economy, affected interest rates, affected people's ability to move. There was incredible flooding. There was spikes and violent crimes. In the church world, there were church leaders who had been in positions of leadership and authority for a long time who fell very publicly. There were churches that are very well known globally who had a very public breakdown and crash. But then I recall all that God has done. And I remember the wonderful deeds that our God accomplished even just in this last year. Globally, the the Global Christianity Center, the study they did last year, they estimate that 150 million people put their faith in Jesus for the very first time last year. You don't read that in the news, but man, 150 eternities have been forever changed because people came to know Jesus last year. But right here in Kokomo, Indiana, Crossroads Community Church, God has done some absolutely amazing things over the last year. 2023, God's in Garage, it's our ministry of all volunteers, solely of volunteers who go into our community and help people who don't have the money to pay for car repairs. They, they repaired over 450 cars last year at no labor cost to the people who received it. Last year, our foster care initiative, we started it a couple years ago. Last year, our foster care initiative provided 80 journey bags to kiddos that are entering in to this scared time of going into foster care, not knowing what's ahead. 80 bags, absolutely. Our servant ministries team, I feel like I'm just gonna be, this, this is like a graduation. Please hold your applause till the end or we're gonna be here till noon. Last year, our, our servant ministries team, among many other things that they did, they gave away and they helped to give away 520 pairs of shoes and socks for kiddos going back to school in our community. Our Celebrate Recovery program has been going for several years, but last year they did something that I've never been more excited about. So Celebrate Recovery is a group that meets on Thursday nights and they're helping people walk through hurts, habits, and hangups. But at the beginning of last year, we started a nine-month-long step study program. It's a discipleship pathway to walk people through the 12 steps of recovery to find true freedom and healing from our hurts and our habits and our hangups. Last year, we started that program and 39 people graduated after nine months of the step study program. That's incredible. Some of the lighter statistics that I think are just incredible. Um, In our cafe kitchen right out here, we served 8,448 breakfast meals on Sundays last year. Wait, it gets better. We served over 5,000 slices of bacon last year for breakfast. (laughs) Man, glory to God for that. In Uganda, we've had a really cool partnership over the past few years to help do ministry in parts of Uganda. And in the the district of Chinjojo, we've been partnered with for a few years. Uh, We found out that we've been sponsoring a school called Heart and Hands Foundation. They do some really cool secondary training and spiritual training. It's been really good. But to have all their students on site, they don't have a kitchen to prepare food. So they were cooking food outside, and then you just had to go find a shade tree or a spot to go sit down and eat. 
And on top of that, there isn't really a good place where they could gather together and do discipleship. So we, our missions team, built a gathering place. It's literally called the gathering place. Birthed out of Acts chapter two and verse 42, where it says the believers all gather together for teaching, for fellowship, for breaking of bread, and for prayer. And because of your generosity, we got to build that for a community of hundreds of thousands of people that can come to know Jesus and spend time growing in their relationship with our Savior. Can we just say... All the praise and honor goes to our God, but a big, big thank you goes to each of you for your investing of your energy and investing of your time and for your generosity and your obedience to giving, to using your gifts and your abilities to build and advance the kingdom. And because of you, there are hundreds and hundreds of more stories just like this. When people say, well, did God even hear? Did God even know? Does God even reel? Look at what he has done just in this past year. Let's give God a hand for that, can't we? <clears throat> Every time I reflect back on what God has done through and in this church, I'm just so overwhelmed by what an incredible God who could take imperfect people like you and I and do such extraordinary things. Which brings us to where are we going this year? There's a passage I shared with you last weekend. I thought it was a really um, helpful passage, a challenging one. And when we live it out, man, it's, it's a struggle. But if we're being real, I think this is the direction that God is leading, not just Crossroads, but the global church into this new year. Ephesians chapter five, um, Paul's writing again and he's giving instruction. He writes this in Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 15. He says, so be careful how you live. We talked about this last week. We need to put barricades in place if we wanna get there. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but don't like live like those who are wise. And then he says this statement that might just be my driving force for this year. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Last week we established we live in some pretty evil times. It doesn't take much observation to recognize that. But God says, don't go and hide. Don't go live in your bunker. Don't cower down. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Church, I believe maybe like never before in our lifetimes, this year will provide more opportunities to advance the kingdom of our God than maybe we've ever seen before. Now, I'll just give you it straight up right now. Like I'm not sugarcoating anything today. If we're gonna make the most of every opportunity, many will not be easy. And many will require sacrifice and come at a cost. But I can't think of one single thing greater than a sacrifice to advance the kingdom. And if we can stay focused, if we can retain our eyes on the clear vision of where God's called you to and me to and our church to, I think we'll be faced with more opportunities than we've ever seen to make the most of them. And the vision I have for this church isn't that we just recognize those opportunities, because I believe for so long, so many churches and church folks have seen the opportunities and lack the confidence and lack the boldness to take steps in faith to make the most of them. And my prayer, my vision for our church is that we see those opportunities and that we stand out in bold faith, chasing after Jesus to make the most of every opportunity. It reminds me of one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Go back in the book of Nehemiah found in the Old Testament is a powerful story, um, kind of to the the insight of this idea that God has given us, that we should have a vision. There's a, a gentleman named Nehemiah. It's kind of an autobiography, maybe with some assistance in the writing. Um, Nehemiah lives an incredible story. He's a really ordinary guy who God chose to use to do some extraordinary things. A little background in the book of Nehemiah. So Jerusalem um, is kind of like the, the home base of the Israelites, of God's people in the Old Testament. And Jerusalem was like the center, like the hub. And back in these times, it was back in the times where you built big, large walls around to protect the city Jerusalem has been attacked and the walls have been torn down. The gates have been burned up like there is not much left. 
Now, Nehemiah is not a local boy at this time. He's actually in Persia serving the king, got a really bougie job where he just reports to the king and has food and wine like it's not that bad a gig at all. So he's living up the dream, and then he gets news while he's serving the king that this is what's happened to the homeland. Nehemiah chapter one, he hears about this. Nehemiah writes, and my heart broke. He says that he mourned and that he fasted and prayed. It's a good practice to put in place. Nehemiah chapter two, he finally prays enough that he gets the courage when the king recognizes one day. He says, why are you so troubled? Nehemiah says, I was terrified when the king asked. So he prays again and he responds to the king. Nehemiah chapter two and verse five, this is what he says. I replied, if it please the king and you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now, I I don't know how your conversations with your king go, but that seems like a pretty bold request. Like, I'd like to no longer do my job. I'd like to return back to my homeland and I'd like to go do something else there. Here's what we know. Nehemiah didn't have all the details, but God had given him a vision. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The walls have been torn down and I need you to go and fix it. Now, there ought to be some red flags right there right away. Uh, Nehemiah is not a builder. He's not a trained stonemason. He's not a general contractor who could grab a bunch of guys and take him on a bus and go over there and start rebuilding the city. In fact, most of the time when God gives you a vision, he may not have already put all the tools in place for you to accomplish it. But part of our faith in walking it out is a trusting that God is gonna equip you to do the thing he's called you to do. God gave him a vision. And if you're taking notes, I think it's worth noting. Vision gives you direction. Vision clarifies direction. Vision is a a clear picture of our preferred future. And if I don't have a vision of what a godly man looks like, I'm gonna wander around chasing lots of random ideas. If I don't have a clear picture of what a godly husband looks like, if I don't have a clear picture of what our church could look like, then I'm gonna wander around. How many of us know somebody that went through a season or maybe are going through a season where they didn't know where they were going? They didn't know what they were supposed to do and they just wandered around. Uh, Parents, you, you know this. You, you go into your kid's room late at night, they're having trouble sleeping, so you, you stay over there next to the bed, you turn down all the lights, you try to create an environment where they can sleep. And then when you think you've waited long enough, you finally try to get up and not make any noise and not squeak on the floor, and you try to find your way in the dark room to the doorway. Now in your mind, you can see it, but when your eyes are open, you don't have a vision of where the doorway's at. And three steps into it, you kick that dresser so hard, you're almost gonna yell, but you know you can't yell because your kid's still asleep. And then to make matters worse, after you kick it, you back up and you step on that Lego that your daughter just sharpened right before she went to bed. And it goes through the bottom of your foot and you so badly want to yell, but because you have a vision, even though you can't see it, I'm gonna be real quiet and scream when I get in the hall. When we don't have a vision, we either hurt ourselves or we end up hurting the people around us. When we wander without a vision, we'll always wind up somewhere that's never taking us to the there because it's always easier to get detoured than to stay on the path that God has for us. Vision provides direction. This is the man I'm becoming. This is the generous person I'm becoming. This is the family that I would like to set myself up for one day. I may not know how to build a wall. I may not know how I'm gonna pay to build a wall. I may not know how to recruit help in a community I don't even live in, but I know that this needs to happen and I'm gonna go. That's where I need to go. Nehemiah, terrified before the king, he responds, he prays and says, please allow me to go. Scripture says, still not knowing what he was gonna get into, when he finally arrives, he waits three days and then slips out one night to go out and try to investigate how bad the damage really was. We'll pick up there. Nehemiah chapter two and verse 16. The city officials did not know that I had been there or what I was doing. So he's told no one other than the king about this. For I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. 
But now, the time was right. But now I said to them, you know very well the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. So let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about the, how gracious the hand of God had been on me and my conversation with the king. And they, they all, they, they all replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began a good work. If you're an underliner or a highlighter when you're reading your Bible, that last sentence is such a powerful reminder. So they began a good work. Now, this, this call to action seems pretty simple to me. Like, maybe it's oversimplified. Maybe he didn't give all the details of it. But from what I can read in the text, he shared the vision of what God had said. Look at the mess we're in and look at where we could be. And then he gave a couple sentences about, and God has been so faithful. God has been so good. Look what God did in this last year that people that didn't even know him stood up and said, let's go build a wall. It says, they all responded at once. You got us, you got us with the vision. Here's what I know. A God-given vision builds unity. It wasn't that some influencer showed up. It wasn't that this real popular celebrity shows up in Jerusalem and is like, hey, everybody, listen to my voice. A stranger from a different place shows up in Jerusalem. It wasn't that he had a lot of money and he was offering, hey, I'll pay you $25 an hour to come work on the wall. It wasn't that he had a lot of authority and he came with the authority of the king to say, you have that job and you have this job and this one's not gonna be fun, but you're doing that. No, he came out and said, you know where we are, and you know where we need to go. Who's with me? Because God is on our side. Vision builds unity. He built unity in a whole city, in a whole community. And as we find out later, not only did he build unity, but they accomplished the rebuilding of the wall in far less time than anyone, including Nehemiah, had anticipated. But as you know from life experience, just because you have clear direction of where you wanna go, and just because it feels like people are on board with you doesn't mean that you're empty of the temptation or the enemies or the deceit that comes along with it. And word begins to spread that this guy's arrived in town and he's putting together teams of people to help rebuild the wall. And the enemies of Jerusalem were not happy about this. So they began to plan and they began to scheme. People of the neighbors, would, they'd show up and they'd say, listen, the, the, the enemies are starting to attack from all directions. So Nehemiah chapter four, he calls for a meeting. Skipping down to verse 14. He says, then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and I said to them, we should be done. He said to them, this is terrifying. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never been doing this before. That's not what he says at all. He says, don't be afraid of the enemy. Which sometimes, I don't know if your Bible has an exclamation point, but sometimes I think we take out the exclamation point. Now don't be afraid of the enemy. God's asking you to step out in faith. Now don't be afraid of the enemy. God's asking you to be a little bit more generous. Don't be afraid of the enemy. No, no, no. There's an exclamation point in my Bible. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Man, what a powerful statement. Don't be afraid of the enemy. I call the situation. He said, don't be afraid of the enemy. He says this. He gives instructions how not to be afraid. Then remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. I can't imagine he was just whispering this. I can imagine the passion that was overflowing from him. Not, not only do we have a task at hand, but I see the why behind, and I see what's at stake, and I see who we're protecting, and I see who we're fighting for, and I'm not just gonna sit back on my hands and hope somebody joins in. I remember who my God is, and I remember what my God has done, and I remember the vision he has given me of what this should be. And I remember what's at stake here. And I remember protecting my family. It's in your notes, vision produces passion. Vision produces passion. When we get a glimpse of who can be impacted by this, 
when we get a glimpse of the, 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 the change that could happen, the, the effects that could happen, when we get a glimpse of where God is leading us, can, can I just confess? You're not supposed to confess these kind of things. Sometimes in this job, I get really excited. Some days are terrible, I'm not gonna lie. Some days are really exciting. And there may be nothing more exciting as a pastor than watching people who are far from God get saved. Like people who are far from Jesus put their faith in him. One of the greatest joys is watching the conversion moment where someone who is dead is now come to life. And for so many people, right after they give their heart to the Lord, for so many people, right after that conversion moment, there is a passion and a fire in them to spread this information, to spread this experience, to share Jesus with everybody they know, everybody they're related to, everybody that they care about. Not to draw attention to themselves, look at me, but because I want you to know what I know, and I want you to find what I've found, and I want you to experience what I've experienced. And I, as a pastor, we love it. But if we can be real for a moment, as Christians who've been Christians a long time, I think it's real easy to fall into a trap But the longer we follow Jesus, the less passion we have to see those who are far from him come to him. Can I just suggest this? That if you don't have that passion that burns inside of you, like some of our newest believers do, if you don't have that passion like maybe you once had to help people take steps closer to Jesus or take steps with Jesus, if you find yourself selling for anything less than, do not be afraid of the enemy. And fight for your sons and fight for your brothers, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your neighbors, fight for your coworkers, fight for your extended family, fight for the people that you know who don't have hope in Jesus. And if that doesn't stir up a fire in you, then maybe your fast doesn't need to end today. Maybe you need to clear everything off on your schedule and just say, God, show me again the passion of what it's like to see someone who was dead come to life and someone who's far from you and bound to something bad to come and find freedom in you. God, show me that, stir that passion up in me once again, God, show me your vision and stir a passion in me. Stir a passion in me that I will fight for those who are lost. Now, we know just because you have direction and just because you have unity and just because you have passion doesn't mean the enemy's like, oh, Luke on fire today. I'm gonna go ahead and step up out the way. No, you know as well as I do that if you're doing something to advance the kingdom of the enemies, they're gonna come together. In fact, Nehemiah's enemies, they aren't just enemies coming together. You know the saying, an enemy of my enemy is a friend of mine. And Nehemiah's enemies, they like, for a temporary moment, they kind of combine forces and they start to plot together. How are we gonna get this guy? How are we gonna disrupt his plan? So by the time we get to Nehemiah chapter six, <coughs> excuse me, Nehemiah chapter six, they've put a plan together to get Nehemiah out of the city where they can kill him and shut all this down. This is what happens, Nehemiah six, picking up in verse two. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work. Remember earlier, we said we were gonna do a good work, but as they continued to work and build unity and get passionate, it became a great work. But I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come down. The the, the thing that I think we get so stuck on sometimes is how good that sounds and how difficult this is. I can talk about it, I can look at it, I can get excited for it, but taking that step, putting those barricades in place, Nehemiah is saying, I have seen the vision God's got for me, I am walking it out, and nothing is gonna get in my way of fulfilling the there that God has called me to, of completing the vision that God has given me. And I'm not gonna risk losing the vision, I'm not gonna step down off this wall, I'm not gonna put any distraction in place that might detour me from living out the call that God has put on my life. I'm engaged in a great work, church. I wanna be engaged in a great work. And when I see it, I'm not coming down. Here's what I know, it's in your notes. Vision elevates disciplines. 
Vision elevates discipline. We, we are just, just talking about this, now I feel real bad. We were sitting right over there during the third worship song, and we were talking about where we are gonna go out for lunch. And if I've got a vision of being debt-free, going out for lunch is convenient, and I probably still will. But I can't go out to lunch all the time if I'm trying to get out of debt. I've gotta put discipline in place. Going out to eat is convenient, but it's not gonna get me out of debt. If, I'm, if I want a better understanding of who I am, and I committed, maybe you committed too, I committed to read the Bible more than I've ever read before this year. And you know what? There's been days already where I go to bed late and I get up early and I get to the end of my day or the beginning of my day and I'm wiped and exhausted. And I've got so much to get done on my to-do list that God, I'm gonna take a few days off. No, 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 I know that you want me to be a better leader and a better husband and a better father and a better pastor. I've got a clear vision of the godly man that you've got in store for me and I will not skip on my Bible study today. I wanna be a healthier guy and I've got a vision of what a healthier me can look like. And I know that I'm gonna be tired when I wake up in the morning and chances are Indiana in January and February is gonna be gray and rainy and snowy and cold. Make up your mind. And I could get up in the morning and I can be like, nope, shut the alarm off. I'm just gonna sleep a little bit longer, but I got a vision of a healthier me. So I'm getting out of bed and I'm going to the gym even on the days I don't want to. Vision elevates discipline. Vision gives direction. Vision builds unity. A God-given vision gives a God-given passion. And if I wanna get from where I am to the there that God's got in store in me, I've gotta be willing to put disciplines in my life even on the difficult days to get there. Vision is necessary for your life and it's necessary for your family's life and my family's life. And I believe vision is necessary for our church. Long, long ago, in a land right here in Coahuila, Indiana, God gave the leadership of our church a clear vision, a clear assignment. Our, our mission, the, the reason Crossroads exists, is to meet people where they are and to help them take their next step with Christ. It's the reason God has blessed this church and had his hand of favor on this church for, for decades and decades and decades. That we are here to meet people where they are, whether they're 10,000 steps from Jesus, taking steps closer to him, whether they're taking the next step to go public when they're and get baptized, whether they're taking step number 16,243 to take their next step with Christ. And last year, I believe that God gave us a vision of how to better walk that mission out how to take small incremental steps to keep accomplishing the mission that God has called this church to. Last year we said this, we believe that God has called us to live the 10K life. Now, for me, the last couple of years, as I'm getting older, I've had to be more aware of my health and fitness. And I got one of these fancy watches that tracks your motions and your movements. And one of the recommendations that most of the fitness apps have that you should get in 10,000 steps a day. If you wanna be active, if you wanna be healthy, 10,000 steps a day. And that really like flipped a switch in my mind. We don't wanna be a church that just sits on the sidelines. We don't wanna be a church that just sits back and waits for God to move or for Jesus to come back. We wanna be a church that's active and we wanna be a church that's healthy. So what are the 10,000 steps that we can take? I believe God's called us that every person that calls Crossroads home can take place in this 10K life. Now, I'll just give you a disclaimer on the front end. I'm not the guy who's gonna have a checkbox out there and every week we're gonna be, how many steps did you take this week? And check your list. Like, that's not what it's about. It's much more about living in a trajectory of getting to the there that God has called us but 10,000 steps seems really accomplishable and doable if God shows up and if God moves. Three components to this 10K life. The first component is this. Collectively, as a church, we wanna demonstrate 10,000 intentional acts of kindness every year. Now, that may seem outlandish to you, like how could I ever do that? But think about this for a moment. If we broke that down to everybody in our church and not just random acts of kindness, I'm not against the random acts of kindness, those are beautiful, but I think we need to be intentional about it looking for opportunities, looking through the lens of how can I help someone else out? The, the, kind of the baseline for where this started for me a couple years ago, I started looking through the news and looking through social media and maybe in some ways very rightly so, social media and the news feed has done a really good job of painting Christians out to be pretty horrible people. 
and you know some. There are lots of them. And if we read through scripture and we live a life modeled after Jesus, Jesus was pretty harsh on the religious folks, but to everybody else, he overwhelmed them with kindness. And if we wanna turn people back to Christ, I believe that one of the intentional steps we have to take is looking and living our life through the filter of how can I just demonstrate kindness today? When that person cuts you off, and rightly so, you could express however you care about them with one finger or another. You have a choice, which is the most kind way to respond. When that coworker just gets under your skin again, it's not saying you don't have to address the wrong that they've done to you, but how can I do it in the most loving and kind way? When your kids frustrate you, we have a choice to respond. How can I demonstrate kindness today? When I'm in a hurry and it seems like I've got so many other things to do, how can I demonstrate kindness today? If you are a young person still living with your parents, you wanna freak your parents out this year? Every morning when you wake up, ask God to show you a way that you can be kind without them insisting that you do that. After they get over the shock and all, I'm just throwing this out there, they maybe extend your like allowance or something or maybe give you a longer time before you go to bed. I mean, there are pros to being kind unexpectedly. But I would recommend, I would encourage you every morning we start off the day, God, show me places to be kind. Now, I, I promise you this, when you pray, God, show me ways I can be kind, God will also present opportunities to demonstrate patience because there will be plenty of people who try your kindness. God, show me ways that I can be kind. What do I need to do to be kind? How can I be more kind than I was yesterday? The second component. Number two, we wanna help people take 10,000 steps with Christ in two years. Now, I could break that down if you're a mathematician, like that means 5,000 steps a year is kind of the goal, but again, the goal is not just to make sure we count all the spots. The goal is the trajectory of following after Jesus and being a church who aggressively helps people to take steps with him. The reason this church exists, our mission to reach people, and help them take their next step with Christ. I can't think of a better goal than be intentional about how we're gonna help people do that. If we're not careful, meeting people where they are and helping them take the next step with Christ is a great, beautiful sign on the wall. It's a clever, catchy saying. We could probably give a little bit of time to it, memorize it, we could recite it, and it's great. But we can't just be a people who are content with words. We have to be a people that are content with words and actions. Why? Because God has called us to a great work. And if we're engaged in a great work, I can't come down. So how do we take steps with Jesus? Well, number one, I'll give you a couple options. Um, maybe for you, a great way to get more steps with Christ is to get more engaged at church. If you're new to Crossroads or you're new to faith, we have this incredible four-week gathering called Crash Course. It meets every Sunday morning um, and walks through just basics to belief, basics to understanding scripture, and the basics to what Crossroads is about. If you're newer to Crossroads, we would encourage you, sign up for Crash Course before you leave today. Um, maybe for you, your next step is serving. There's a statistic that's been out for 25 years and it's only changed by one or 2%. It says that 80% of the work of the church is done by 20% of the attenders. We're not supposed to be people that just show up and consume. We live in a consumeristic world, but Jesus called us to be spiritual contributors. So how can you serve at the church? How can you put in place your gifts and your abilities? I'll, I'll tell you, you look around the room in the last couple months, God has done some incredible things and he's brought more and more people to crossroads than I ever expected in just a few months. And all of the good things that that causes, it also causes a little bit of some challenges. Like all y'all keep bringing your kids and we are busting at the seams. I was gonna say we were blowing out at the seams, but then I thought kids ministry, blowouts, bad vision, we don't wanna go there. We are bursting at the seams with little kiddos who are desperately in need of someone who can love on them and rock them or teach them in small group or teach them Sunday school or help lead a small group with them. There are so many places where you can use the gifts and the abilities, where you can use your experiences and your faith to help grow and to serve the church. We need teachers. We need small group leaders. We need baby rockers. We need, visiting, we need greeters. We need baristas. We need bacon servers. Let me tell you the most joyful place to serve in all the church. No one ever walks up to a bacon server like, 
Yeah, mom said I need to start eating three slices of bacon today. I guess I'll choke this down too. No, when someone walks up to you and they want bacon, no matter where they came from, you brighten their day. The only way a bacon server can not brighten the day of someone who's getting their bacon is when there's no bacon left. And I give you full permission. If you run out of bacon, back away quickly. No one will know. They can't get upset with you. Bacon brightens people's day. It's the bookmark of the Lord. It's incredible. It's in Second Hesitations chapter two. I made all that up. Here's what I do know. Way too often, Christian folks, man, I just, I feel like I need to serve. And I don't know where, or I don't know what my gifts and skills are. I don't know where my gifts and skills can be used. Can I just offer this? When, when, when God tells you that he's given you skills and abilities and gifts that only you possess in that manner and shape and form, he wasn't saying, now sit on your couch until you walk out one morning and I've illuminated in the clouds, Luke, your gift is hospitality. Here's what I would recommend. If you wanna find out what your gifts and skills are, Volunteer to serve somewhere and you will find out really quickly, this is it. Or these kids stink and it's gotta be somewhere else. And then go volunteer to serve somewhere else. But God did not call us to be spiritual consumers, but to be spiritual contributors. And each one of us are what make this church what God, called, has, God, called, God has called it to be. Another way, maybe, maybe this is the year that you get into a small group. Maybe this is the year that you start a small group. We believe that we become more like Jesus together. One of the ways we do that is getting in connection with a group of people who are like-minded and maybe a little bit different that'll challenge us and grow us and stretch us. But it's where we put layers of accountability and it's where we encourage each other to keep pressing on to the there that God has got for us. Maybe your next step is to be a consistent giver. Oh, you gonna wander there today, pastor? I'm wandering. No, I'm going there on purpose. Pastor, you're asking a lot. Like, you know where the economy's at? You know what's going on in the world? And you're asking me to start giving a tenth or a tithe of all my income, and I'll just back up real quick and be like, no, I'm not asking you to do anything. This is what God asks us to do. Now listen, you don't have to look long at all to come up with a list of reasons why now is not the right time for me to start tithing. I'll give you some advice. Um, back before Katie and I got married, one of my favorite things that, I, that we did was something that I've started and I do before any time I'll do a wedding now is pre-marriage counseling. And we sat down with our pastor and he walked us through some things and one of the things that he advised us, he was like, now listen, when are you guys gonna have kids? And we were like, probably a few years, and how many kids do you want to have? And I was like, two, and Katie was like, 14, so we settled on four. And he says, well, listen, I need to give you some advice. Don't wait until you think you can afford to have kids because you can never afford to have kids. Like, you will never be financially prepared enough for the cost of these little monsters who eat all your food. I'm sorry, they're not monsters. I love them, except for when they eat all my food. He says, listen, you can't wait till you can afford to do it. You're just going to have to decide this is the right time for our family, and we'll make it work. Can I just offer this? You can never wait until you can afford to tithe because the, the enemy is really good about tricking us and deceiving us with these little ideas of like, well, now that you get paid a little bit more, you should drive a nicer car. Or now that you get paid a little more, you should live in a bigger house. Or now that you get paid a little more, now you've got a little more money, now you've got a little more discretionary income, you should enjoy that a little bit more. Where scripture, and I believe God would teach us very specifically, it's not wait until you can afford to tithe, it's that you can't afford not to tithe. And that may sound like a loaded question, but I just know this to be true in my own experience in my own life. That me with 100% of my income trying to do the things that I want and accomplish what I want will never go as far as me living on the 90% that God has blessed and called me to live in obedience to him. Maybe your next step is to be generous. Maybe your next step is to jump out and do something in faith. Maybe start a Bible study at work. Maybe your next step is to help make more and better disciples. We want this church not just to be a gathering on Sunday mornings, but a place where what Jesus said to go and make disciples. Last fall, we taught a whole series on discipleship. 
And at the end of the series, like we had a discipleship training. We gathered people who said, you know what, I'm mature enough in my faith and I'd like to know better ways and see some tools of how I can meet with people one-on-one and help walk with them as they take steps to grow in their faith. And we had an incredible turnout. People came, they picked up the tool and there's people that are walking out this model, this, model, this, this idea of one-on-one discipleship. And I would offer this, if you, if you believe like, hey, that's what God's tugging on my heart to do. I wanna be a disciple maker. We're gonna have another disciple maker training on Sunday night, March 10th. Put that in your calendar. There'll be more information to follow. It's a really great step in how you receive some tools and some training to go and make disciples. And on the flip side of that, if you're newer to faith or you're newer to taking your faith seriously and you wanna see growth and you wanna see some help in getting to where God's got there for you, I would encourage you this. Before you leave today, you walk right out those doors, you take a left, you stop at first step and you say, I want somebody to disciple me. And we've got some incredible people who are mature in their faith, who are great with people, who would love to partner with you in a one-on-one relationship a couple times a month and walk through what it means to become more like Jesus. Because we're doing a great work. And we're engaged in a great work and we will not come down. The last one kind of is birthed out of this idea of becoming a disciple, becoming more like Christ. That when I realize and recognize the links that God went to to save me, and when I remind myself of the sacrifice that my God made for me, and I understand what's at stake, and I believe that heaven and hell are real, and I believe that there are people that I intersect paths with who might not be on the journey to come to know Christ, Nothing should stop me from pursuing them and nothing should stop me from from praying for them and nothing should stop me from being kind to them and loving them. Nothing should take me off this wall of sharing the gospel, the third component of the 10K life. We wanna share the gospel with 10,000 people in five years. Now, not to put you in panic mode or anything, but that was the vision we had last year. That means there's only four years left. We probably gotta put some more urgency to that, but I would offer this. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And we don't know what the circumstances of how someone's life might end too soon. But we do know the urgency that we need to pursue and share the gospel. It's not by accident that God has you specifically planted right where he does, that you would intersect paths with people who maybe don't know who Jesus is or have forgotten about their faith. And it's not on accident that you are in the intersections of where you work and where you attend school and who you sit with and who you work by and who you sit on the bleachers with, that God has specifically put you there as his best weapon to share love and grace of Jesus with them. Let me just take the pressure off of you real quick. The results of this 10K, share the gospel with 10,000 people, the results aren't on you and I. We don't get to determine if someone gives their life to the Lord. We don't get to determine. We don't get to make the commitment for them. Our job is just to present the gospel as real and honest as we can. And if we believe that heaven is real and we believe that Jesus is real, then there ought to be a passion that stirs up on the inside of me and a passion that stirs up on the inside of you, that God put me here in this moment for this reason, to share Jesus with people, to live a life that looks as much like Christ as we can, and to share the goodness and the hope and the life-changing love and grace and mercy of our Savior, because there is no greater work, and I won't come down. And we will change the world one step with Jesus at a time. We pray with you. God, I am grateful that you are a God of grace. And in my life, I know there are so many missed steps that I've had. I know there are missed opportunities. I know that there are chances that I've blown, and yet you are a God of grace and have given me chances and chances and chances for redemption. God, my prayer is I don't take those lightly, but that I make the most of every opportunity. 
that every morning when I wake up, I look for opportunities to be kind. That every day I look for opportunities to share the gospel. That every day I look for opportunities to become more like Jesus. God, I thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.